everybody welcome to the 234th edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here at my mom's house still i'm gonna head back in a i think eight days i'm very excited about that but we're broadcasting live from mom's basement on uh april 4th 2021 uh a day away from 4321 the uh ll cool j and cannabis joint and uh, I had fun posting that uh, yesterday on my Instagram. But uh, how was are you, that- my guy? Good, good. But but take a step back. Was that on the Phenomenon album? <sighs> Goodness, let's look it up. Well, I didn't think I'd have to be looking at LL Cool J facts tonight, but since I brought it up. 234 episodes in, and I can still keep you on your toes. I feel like I am the hostess with the mostest right now. Oh yeah, no, we're keeping this. I don't... <laughs> Hello, Cool J. Phenomenon! Congratulations. So, do you want to know why I know that? One, I saw your Instagram story and I saw the album cover, but I have a quick story about that album. For everybody who grew up going to elementary school, especially in the '90s, there were these like magazine sales that you could do, and you could like win prizes and, and all this this random. Well, I think by the time I was in like in sixth grade, my mom was just like over this. She was like, God, what do we have to do again? And so I was like, you know, me being, you know, being like a 12 year old GM, like wheeling and dealing. I was like, hey, how about we just go down to like, you know, the local store. Can I pick out a CD and I will not participate in this magazine sale. We'll both call it good. She, she agreed to the terms and conditions. Your boy picked up LL Cool J's Phenomenon. And, and that's it. So you got to listen to what other joints were on that phenomenon album, Mister uh, Phenomenon? Well, there, there was the the title track was Phenomenon, like that okay. was from uh, I think it was from the movie Phenomenon with uh, John Travolta, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it it was just like it was a pretty decent album. But you know, El Colche was still pretty dope back then. But I, I thought that was just you know always looking to, to angle like i didn't really want to do the magazine sell either so if i could get a free cd out of this you no know, let's go so all right we're, we're just going on phenomenon and four three two one so in that in that song you know ll brings in you know established street guys to get that credibility with them you know there was red there was method man dmx cannabis so cannabis in his opening line was like where the squad at l is that a mic on your arm? Let me borrow that. So that that line sparked off an entire beef between LL Cool J and Cannabis. If you listen to that song, uh, LL is like, my mic's off limits to challengers. You know, that, that song sparked off a pretty epic beef in hip-hop history. And tuning into a Blazers-centric podcast, did you think you would learn that much about LL Cool J and 4321? And masterpiece uh, verse was trash on that on that record. <laughs> he was wearing like some Denver Broncos shit on the the music video. It was just some thrown together garbage. But uh, you know, Meth the Red and Cannabis held down that track, in my very biased opinion. 
I, I don't think you're you're wrong in that opinion. But how before we get in, you know, how, how are you doing? Like, you know, you, you're down in Southern Oregon. Uh, how was your your Sunday dinner? Like, <laughs> uh, it was good, man. It was good. Uh, it, you know, live. You know, my brother and I. You know, he lives in Seattle. I live in Portland, but we're both down here, and it's like it's weird to be 10 feet away from your older sibling and having to share a bathroom and all of that lovely mess. But, you know, I really want to go home. I'm not going to front, but it's cool right now. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into it, I got to shout out Olga. She beat me in both the men's and the women's tournament bracket. So she already had the men's tournament wrapped up once Baylor defeated Houston. And Mm -hmm. the bet was... I had to make dinner for her. So I fulfilled my duties tonight. I threw down some pasta. We had a spinach salad, some wine, some focaccia. Uh, I got to say, your, your boy was, was chefing in the kitchen pretty damn good. I was very pleased with how that t- turned out. So, um, But I, I have to do it again. I have to prove that I'm not a one-hit wonder because, again, I did lose the women's tournament with Stanford beating Arizona. So uh, we got we got to see if I can back it up. Like I can't be a Tony Delk scoring 50 points one night and then not, you know, I got to be Dane. Yeah, multiple he, 50, multiple 50 point performances. You, you got to have multiple good. Tr- you can't be Millie Vanilli with one good track, you know, but uh, yeah. Was it Oklahoma state that, uh, that burned you the most? Cause it sure as hell was for me. I, I, you know, I fall in love with these players and Kate Cunningham. I've made it very clear that I think he's going to be awesome in the league. So I went very, I think that was, that and uh, uh, West Virginia were my two big whoopsies in the, uh, the Oklahoma bracket. State definitely set me back. I had them going to the finals, but Olga had some setbacks too. Like she had Colorado going far, she had Kansas going really far. Um, it, it was really close. Like it, if Michigan would have beat UCLA, it would have been a lot closer. Um, it, it, like it went down to the wire. She just was able Baylor. She had, she had, she had Baylor winning it all. So she, Baylor continued to, to hold that, to hold that trajectory. And uh, Mitchell, yeah, and, just, uh, those guards are good. My mom uh, didn't know how to set the bracket. So when I went home, I'm like, let's, let's fix this bracket for you. And turns out she had like a 90 percentile bracket. Um, she didn't fall in love with Kate Cunningham like I did and is better than me at taking college players, I guess. So it was a, it was a, uh, it was a very awesome game that la- that Gonzaga, um, uh, UCLA game was fantastic. I watched the overtime, uh, because it was, it was halftime of, of the blazer game and I'll always watch the blazers over a, a college game. One thing I would say yet. Yeah, First of all, yes, it was a fantastic game. But one thing I will say to everyone, like, really into Jalen Suggs at the moment, be into Jalen Suggs. He's a fantastic player. But don't let NCAA tournament performances determine your overall value at the next level of a certain prospect. I will tell you from firsthand experience that I thought Tyrus Thomas in the 2006 draft class was the guy. And I didn't want LaMarcus Aldridge because Texas – and LSU played 
LSU upset them. Tyrus Thomas ate LaMarcus's, LaMarcus's lunch left and right. Looked like he was going to be the next Larry Johnson, maybe the next Sean Kemp. Looked like he had the goods. Well, that turned out to be a flash in the pan, and he was good at that level. LaMarcus grew, and his game progressed into what the NBA was. So mm-hmm. Jalen Suggs could be great, but don't say he's going to be great because of what he did now. This It's a completely different game. And I, I saw people saying that he was the best point guard. I was like, are you considering Cade Cunningham a two? What the fuck? Like, Cade's obviously a better pro prospect. Like, you even now, you see problems with Jalen Suggs in half court where he can't beat his one-on-one matchup. He does really good on downhill, but he doesn't create enough in that next for that next level with his creation abilities he's shown in Gonzaga. Yes, I know Gonzaga has a scheme where it's, not really like it's kind of like the Warriors of old, not not like the Blazers. That's the kind of comparison I was uh, witnessing during the uh, the UCLA Gonzaga game. UCLA kind of had our their superheroes have to score and score a lot. Gonzaga's scheme really made it so it uh, made everybody a star. But I, I think that there is some problems with his half court game. I think he's if you think. Tyrese Halliburton is better than LaMelo Ball, then I guess you think you'll think that Jalen Suggs is better than Cade Cunningham in the next level. Cause I feel like those prospects are very similar, uh, Jalen and uh Tyrese. I mean, just just really quick. Kevin Durant, I think, lost in the first or second round while he was at Texas, went on to become an MVP, one of the greatest scorers of all time. Ben Simmons at LSU didn't even get his team to the tournament. It, it's a completely different game. So that's mm. what I would say. Hopefully everyone's enjoying the tournament. Uh, we got the draft. The WNBA draft is actually in uh, 11 days. Uh, I've been following that. So I've you know pretty aware of all of the prospects. So it'll be really fun to watch. And then the NBA draft was set for, I believe, uh, July 29th. And so who knows maybe what second round steal Neil Olshay will, will come up with. But looking at the week that was, it probably went pretty status quo. If you were to ask most uh, observers, Portland handled business with a, a workman like a 124 to 101 victory in Detroit, defeating the Pistons. It capped a 4 and 0 road trip for the Blazers, the first time they had won four or more straight on the road in a single trip since November of 2013. That was the year we ended up beating the Houston Rockets in six games off of Damian Lillard's uh, heroic shot with 0.9 seconds on the clock. Unfortunately, Portland's four-game win streak was just that, four games. We came back home and got really uh, just dominated from start to finish by Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks, 127-109. to Thankfully, the Blazers did not let the Bucks beat them two games in a row. They had the largest victory in Rose Garden slash Moda Center history, defeating the Oklahoma City Thunder, by 48 points, 133 to 85. It was two points shy of a Portland home record of 50 points, which occurred back in the Memorial Coliseum days. But it was really nice to have a stress-free game. The Blazers go two and one on the week. They are now 11 games over 500 at 30 and 19. Currently, they sit at sixth in the West, but they are still a game back in the loss column of third. So you've got the Clippers at third, the Nuggets at fourth, the Lakers at fifth, and the Blazers at sixth, really all jumbled up, like nip and tuck with 23, 25 games left. 
So those standings are going to shift, I think, on a weekly basis. Uh, as long as Portland stays above the play-in at seven, I think you should feel good at, at where the Blazers are at. With all of that said, Sage, given the week that was, what stood out to you, good or bad? That I mean, we did what we were supposed to do with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. And the Pistons, to, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, They're yeah. the worst team in the Eastern Conference. We should have beaten them by 23, and we did. So I would, I would throw the Detroit Pistons in there with the Thunder. But you saw the two extremes of what we can do as a team with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Oklahoma City Thunder, where it was like, we're dominating this team, and then Giannis is dominating us. For that Bucks game, and I'm just going to go straight into it, I think the Bucks are designed to dominate the Blazers because defensively they got the guy that defends Dame Lillard the best, Drew Holiday, who just got his bag, and I'm very happy for him. And then Drew that can't do it alone. He they need a guy that can hedge and make and beat Dame to the edge, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Defensively, oh, for funny about that though, Sage is Dame had a fantastic night, thirty two points on uh, north of fifty percent shooting. I thought it was the rest of his uh, teammates that didn't kind of show up to the party. So in general, yes, I agree. The Bucks give. They have the best recipe yes. to defend Lillard, but I thought Lillard actually played fantastically. I just didn't think anybody else really decided to show up. Yeah, well, with part of that Buck scheme is we're going to stop that number one. And they didn't, so they made sure two, three, four, and five didn't really show up. Defensively for the Blazers, holy shit, man. That, it, I mean, that that's the nightmare right, right there, Sage. Uh I just remember watching this game specifically with Olga and thinking, oh, for, and this was during the first half. I was like, for the first time, I could say it's because we're not making our shots. And then I saw that we didn't decide to adjust at all defensively. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, it's not just shots. Like, you're not going to win when you give up 127. Before I it, turn was, it, back, it was two every time. It was yeah, two every I, time. Before I turn it back to you, Giannis was 18 for 18 from two-point field goal range. And put up a stat line that was most recently achieved, and I say this ironically because it was most recently achieved by the great Bolt Chamberlain. So we just let Giannis do whatever he wanted, and I would love for your thoughts on why the Blazers' defense was so porous against the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis specifically. Well, I mean, we didn't adjust at all in the uh, at that second half, man, and. I, I looked it up. I was very curious on since March, who is the worst defensive team in the league? And it happened to be us. We, in the last 30 days, the worst. You know, you can you can look at some filters and say we're the second or third worst. We're, we're the worst since March. That Giannis game just shows that we have a lot of defensive inefficiencies. If we tried something else and failed, I would feel better. But we didn't try anything else. We just got, they just had their number one option go crazy. And then they let Drew Holiday go crazy on us. It, it was a, it was just a bad game all around defensively for us. And I, I wish we adjusted. I wish we, that we did something to make it so Brent Forbes or Drew Holiday from three or any of those others, Brooke Lopez had to shoot it because we were just focused on letting Giannis get 
get his thing, get his buckets. It, it was a really depressing watch. It was. And if you look at, if you isolate the first and the third quarters, not only does Milwaukee combined combine to score 71 points in those two quarters, they outscored us by 30 points in just those two quarters. That, 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 that can't happen, Sage. Milwaukee, yes, Giannis is a freak. He's the Greek freak for a reason. He's the, the two-time MVP. But we've seen him. He, he is mortal. The Toronto Raptors two years ago proved that. The Miami Heat last year proved that there is a blueprint out there on how to defend Giannis. This is my biggest complaint. Like anybody who listens to this podcast knows we're not completely anti Terry Stotts, but I wouldn't say we're in favor of him either. I would say the reason I have just like it's the biggest itch when it comes to Terry Stotts. His lack of in-game adjustments. I, I, you have probably the most dominant interior player since Shaquille O'Neal in 2000, given his side speed, agi- uh, size, speed, agility, and athleticism. And footwork. Like it, and footwork. It, it's not a coincidence that he was able to go 18 for 18 inside the three-point arc because we covered him, you know, one-on-one. As great of a defender as Robert Covington is, there is no defender one-on-one on an island that can defend this man. It's completely asinine to me that we didn't try to uh, deny him the ball, front him, uh, trap him, uh, double team, tri- yes. triple team. Like, send, just, send just help. Yeah. do any, throw a zone, throw a zone at the Milwaukee Bucks. I know Giannis had a couple of foul line jumpers, but that's like Jordan in the 92 finals. If he is going to shoot that three and he makes them and he shrugs on you, you tip your cap and say, okay, let's go to game two because that's where we want you to shoot. You were just better than us on that night. And Mm. if that would have happened, fine. But Giannis only took two jumpers from the foul line extended that weren't three-pointers. He hit them, but that's where you want him to shoot, Sage. So if if I'm a Blazer fan and, and I'm looking at any sort of playoff matchup, I think you have to legitimately be somewhat concerned because you know you have a coach who's very slow to adjust. And honestly, Terry Stotts is coaching for his coaching life this year. He has to get out of the first round. And it's going to be a dogfight because the West is as tough as it's ever been. But this roster is very good, and you have arguably the best player in franchise history. I think Terry has to show some adaptability and flexibility moving forward and we're going to get a good opportunity because the schedule is only going to get harder. You're going to play more and more Giannis type teams. So Sage, why is he just that afraid of giving up the three point shot? Because to me, I would honestly, even in this modern era, I would rather live with a Brooke Lopez as good as he is shooting threes than Giannis shooting twos from like five feet in. There's just something wrong because We've seen this. This isn't new. This this scheme, this this strategy of how we play defense isn't new. It's been the same for a long, long, long time. It's just, since the Dame CJ era when I started watching this team legitimately. This is how we've been. It hasn't stopped. So to expect him to make some adjustments, man, I I, I hope it's also difficult. When you said, I hope, it, 
got me thinking. I was like, oh, I hope, you know, we learn from this, but we haven't. Steph Curry, Steph Curry had a career high 62 points against us. Was he a, a flamethrower that game, a human torch? Absolutely. And in a way, you kind of move on and say, well, that's Steph Curry. He's he's taking difficult shots from, from those those ranges. But also objectively, objectively looking at it, the Blazers didn't make any sort of adjustments to get Curry out of his comfort zone, to deny him the ball, uh, to to just make it exactly. And, and I saw that same thing happen with Giannis, and this has been a pattern with a Terry Stotts. Well, Bradley Beal, all, defense. all of players. You're absolutely right. Bradley Beal owns the Moda Center record for opposing points in a game. I think two years ago he dropped 50 on us. Star players have a like high likelihood of having ceiling games mm-hmm. against our defense. And Sage, if I'm looking at the standings right now, we have a chance to play Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, uh, Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul. Ceiling games from those caliber players will sink our playoff hopes in the bat of an eye. We have a great team. Offensively, we're, we're one of the historically best offensive teams in NBA history. But you also have to give yourself a chance to win on the defensive end of the floor because even in today's modern NBA high-scoring, three-point launching era, the best teams still play defense. The best teams still string together multiple stops. The best teams change the momentum of the game on the defensive end mm-hmm. of the floor. And we've shown flashes of that but we haven't done it really consistent consistently. And when we play these super superhuman players, like, like Giannis, it, it's like, we just kind of just shrug and say, well, that's Giannis. That's what he does. Well, it's really, that's not what he does every day. He had a career night against us. Eh? That was a ceiling Greek freak performance. And I felt like we just let him do it, man. Like there, there's, there's no realm even if we hit our shots, I don't know if we're winning that game. How did you feel about our defense against Detroit? I felt like they, those rookies, the Sadiq Bay, Saban Lee, have been doing a really good job this year. And I guess even Isaiah Stewart, we, we were so poo-pooey of him. Those rookies really were the margin of error for them. Like when they produce, it's a, it's a close game. But when they get shut down like they did against us, Detroit's god awful. So I really liked how we focused defensively against a team that we knew we were more talented than it, just like in Oklahoma City. We knew we were more talented. We jumped passing lanes, we were aggressive. It's because we out-talented them, out-talented them and we knew it. I, I wish we can be aggressive against Pokashevsky or Saban Lee or whoever it may be. We're we're aggressive, but Against Giannis, we kind of wait for him to attack, and then we try and adapt, but we don't really do it. I thought the Detroit game, we came out, and we have a tendency of having really bad first quarters. I, I don't know if it's a, an energy or an intensity thing, or it's, you know, the, the opposition has peak energy at the time. You know, they're, they're not uh, tired or fatigued, and so, you know, they got all optimal lift on their jump shot, optimal lift when they're, you know, driving to the lane. But what I liked about about the Detroit game was even though we gave up 33 points um, against the the Pistons, 
they only had 68 points through the remaining three periods and, mm-hmm. and numbers that I liked Portland got to the foul line 26 times. So not only were they aggressive on defense, they were aggressive on offense. They could have easily settled for a plethora of three point shots against a, a Pistons defense that, that really isn't going to put up a challenge, but we were selective in the threes that we took. We were 16 of 30. I've always said this. I like us between 30 and 40 attempts from, from downtown. Any more than that, I feel like we're probably playing from behind because we're trying to catch up and get it all back in one fell swoop, or we're just not playing a patient game of basketball. And that's what postseason basketball is. It's patience. It's valuing the possession. That's why scores tend to decline in the playoffs. The pace tends to you know, come a little bit to a, a, a grinding halt. The playoffs are just a completely different beast. You're getting everyone's best for a full 48 minutes. So I liked how we swung the ball around the perimeter. I liked how we got into the paint. You know, you have Damian Lillard getting 10 assists. That means he was a factor on the offensive end. It was a pick your poison. He had 33 points, but they also had 10 dimes. So there, there was no way for the opposition to decide how to defend us. And we didn't let them off the hook with uh, contested quick threes which allowed us to set our defense. I think we are worst when we play transition defense. So off of turnovers or quick misses, mm-hmm. when we try to get back, there's so much miscommunication in this blazer scheme that that's when opponents get those really quick uncontested either layups or transition threes. Mm-hmm. And that's when you see the blazer start to spiral and you'll see that a couple of times, but when we take care of our own and our offense, then I feel like our defense just just comes along. So it almost starts on the offensive end. And it's not just hitting our shots, so to speak. It's it's the quality looks that we get. And that's what I really liked uh, about that Detroit game. It's like, okay, Jeremy Grant got off to a good start. And you could kind of tell because he blocked our shot a couple of times. And then our guys are like, okay, we, we got to step this up. Detroit's just not going to let us win this game. And, and we came in and it was a really uh, a team effort. Like, you started to see Nurkic gel with, with CJ and Norman hitting him backdoor, you know, running some offense through the big fella at the high post, which is makes us so much more difficult to defend because you can't just load up on Lillard. Uh, you saw Rocco four or five from downtown. I mean, he has just been an absolute sniper uh, probably since the all-star break. You just started to see how this team could come together and, what their potential could look like. Granted, it was against the worst team in the Eastern Conference, but I would say that's that's been something to hang your hat on if you're the Blazers because past Blazer teams, even under Terry Stotts, have not been able to beat the teams that they should. This year, they've taken care of that. It's against the teams like the Bucks and you know teams ahead of us in the standings, both in the East and West. We are just three and nine so far this year against those elite teams. So on one hand, it's good you're handling business. On the other hand, it means you got to elevate your play to start beating the teams that can rival you in, in talent. I feel like Nurkic, when he's at his best, is big brothering someone, like taking someone aside and mentoring them. You saw it with uh, Mo Harkless. You saw it with Nasir Little. When he is actively helping somebody, it, he stops thinking about himself and starts trying to focus his energy on helping. And he plays a lot better when he's in that mind state. So Norman Powell being there has helped Nurkic kind of like focus on himself because there's been games in this year that he just doesn't even get close to the rim on post shots. You saw in the last two games, he was trying to tear the backboard down. I think it's that level of focus that he has with 
trying to integrate Norman into this scheme. Another thing I've noticed with Norman coming back is our offense is a lot more fluid. Like they're trying to get him open. And with that, uh, with them trying to get him open, we're a top 10 team in pace now because we're moving the ball and playing with more rhythm to our offense. We're not like running and chucking, but we're playing with good pace in trying to get the right shot. So I, I kind of like what we're doing, how we're trying to get Norman like fast, fast into this offense it, defensively and offensively. And I, I hope that Nurk can stay focused at this level where he can just, he just wants to blam on fools. Two things that, that you brought up that I wanted to touch on the first about Norman Powell. I, I think you're seeing that because he's, he's a true triple threat. Like they always teach you that when you're in grade school, you know, you get the ball you, know, you can dribble, you can pass or you can shoot. <laughs> Norman Powell's pretty damn good at each one of those facets of the game. And so as a defender, you have to be cognizant that he could do any of those three, mm. three, 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 three actions. So him being able to put the ball on the floor, act as another creator and be strong enough physically to take the contact and finish at the rim. Th- that just opens up the offense that much more. I think mm-hmm. Powell is actually going to be extremely key in the postseason and down the stretch run, having another big body, even though he's undersized, he has a nice wingspan, but just being able to have more offensive diversity. And speaking of offensive diversity, you've talked about Nurkic and being aggressive at the rim. This is exactly how we need him to play. There were a couple of times, especially I, I think it was the Toronto game where he brought the ball up the floor and he was trying to run point guard. You could see he was already starting to lose the handle of it. And he did this one-hand pass. Oh, the lazy pass to uh, the guy. Yeah, hash hitting. Two in a row. Two in a row lazy passes. And you, you can just tell that that Nurk, Nurk probably has always been the biggest kid growing up. Well, you look at his he, dad, bro. <laughs> exactly. Like, we need him to play like that on the court. Like, don't get cute. Don't try to flip it up around the rim. Blam Two it hands home. It. Two hands. And he, he has been finishing strong, and that's the bubble nerk that, one, we're going to need if we're going to be a threat in the Western Conference, and two, that Nurkic is going to need if he wants a payday next mm. summer. Teams aren't going to pay a lot for Nurk missing layups around the rim or throwing lazy passes or not getting back on defense or reaching in. They want the Nurkic that is a threat to dime someone up from the top of the key that's going to put put the defender on a poster off of the pick and roll, or that can take and make the occasional three-point shot. Nurk has all the potential and talent in the world. It's a mindset for him. And I don't know who has to tap into that, whether it's Dame as a leader, because they have a great relationship, or if it's Nurkic himself, who he admittedly said, you know, he's been dealing with a lot of personal issues coming into the season. So I don't know where he's at from an emotional mindset mm-hmm. uh, uh, mindset. But I think if we record after the season and we're looking back, I think our success is going to be largely based upon how well Yusuf Nurkic performs and what type of Yusuf Nurkic we get. Because the difference between good Nurk and bad Nurk is, it's a difference between probably maybe a conference finals appearance and losing in five or six games in the first round. Like that that's the the pendulum swing that his performance has on this roster because he can be great a top five center in the league he could also be like i don't even know this dude should start like Mm. the 
the ceiling and floor with Nurk is 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 large. Yeah, absolutely. The standard deviation, like you don't oh, know what he's going to be. Very high variance. Yeah, for so, OG listeners out there. If Nurk is engaged, which, hey man, the pandemic affects all of us in different ways. So, it like that that human element is difficult to project. We don't know what he's dealing with. We don't know what's going on inside of Yusuf's head. But if he's engaged, those teams with the elite center that like to back down, I'm less afraid of matching up with them. It, it's it's all about how he's feeling. And, you know, hopefully uh, life can get a little easier so he can focus on basketball. It has been a, a very weird week with essentially three blowouts. That shit don't happen to us very often. It doesn't. I mean, the OKC game, the Thunder came into that game also on the second night of a back-to-back. They had lost in Phoenix mm-hmm. by 37 the night before, the same night we lost to the Bucks. They gave up 140 points. And the Blazers, while they didn't score 140, they put up 133 of their own. They defensively held the Thunder to 85 points. I thought it was a great performance from start to finish. Um, Very important that they came out and played that way because that had been, I think, a lot of gripe coming out of Rip City is, yeah, we're winning, but we are really trying. We are really relying on Damian Lillard and his clutch time performances. Mm. His starters, huge minutes too. Exactly. So it was nice to have a relatively stress-free game when you're seeing CJ Ellaby with like six minutes left in the third quarter and you're on the, uh, you know, the good side of the scoreboard, that is a beautiful Saturday night just to watch the, the young kids go out and hoop. I mean, Nasir little, uh, he returned from his thumb injury and you know, 13 points, eight boards, like just continues to blossom right in front of our eyes. Uh, it was great to see, you know, Harry Giles, you know, hit some threes and finally get get some good run. Uh, Ennis was having his own little battle with Moses Brown and just dominating the young the young buck on the boards. And the Blazers, uh, you look at CJ, 20, 26 minutes. Dame, 25. Cub, 24. Powell, 24. Nurk, 18. And we forced some steals too, right? Yeah, we had uh, 13 total steals, uh, three blocks, and only committed nine turnovers. Uh, I thought we did a fantastic job of beating a team that we say we we rightfully so should have beat this team by 40 points and yeah. we did that that is huge like it's really especially with no energy from the crowd because there is no crowd to go out and do that i think showed a lot but again i think the question about this team is can they do it can they get it done against teams above them in the standings because Yes, some of those games were played without C.J. McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic, but some of them weren't. And a lot of those games have been non-contests. So I think the big thing for this week is, okay, Blazers, you know, you are a good team. You can beat teams below you, but you're not going to be playing those teams in the postseason. So we need to kind of treat these games like the playoffs. And I need to see them uh, kind of bring it. Yeah, I mean... So I was watching it and my mom was like, I don't know any of these players in this game. I was like, yeah, you probably don't. These these are some young bucks. They all look like 14. Yeah. I mean Isaiah Isaiah Roby, like are you the dude looked like he could be a freshman in high school, like trying out for varsity. I mean he's, po- he's got, like, the, baby is, the young 
Pokashevsky, like, yeah, dude, he, he could be like a, like a lanky seventh grader. Like, just so young. He, like, he needs to put on some weight. God damn. It looks so awkward watching him ball. But he's pretty damn good. Like, Theo Maladon's young. Everybody's if, young and hungry Poku on that team. puts on some weight, I, I think the Giannis comparisons aren't too far off, to be completely honest. Like, I think they've got themselves a gem. He's got to put on weight like Giannis did. I mean, you look at Giannis now versus rookie Giannis. Dudes lived in the gym. If Poku has that work ethic, it could be a absolute gem of a find for Sam Presti and the Thunder. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in that 6,000-word article, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, dude, I remember just, like, writing my art, writing my part, going to my bed, taking a nap, listening for the phone, and be like, shit, all right, I got to write some more. But, <laughs> like... Yeah, Pokushevsky was awesome. Like they have they they have guys that you can see, you know, being in the rotation. And then they have 30 million draft picks in the next few years. So they can get some young talent. But we rightfully beat their ass. It was a country ass whooping or a northwest ass whooping, if you want to be regional about the ass kicking that we <laughs> we gave to them. Like even even when Jeremy Grant was having an all-time quarter for him because he's been his, his user rates dropped quite a bit because they don't want to play him in non-competitive games. We we focused up and stopped them. Like that was those two wins were they showed something with the the players being like, all right, we can't let Jeremy Grant and these these young guys beat us. Blowouts don't happen much. We usually keep it competitive. The one thing that I posted on Twitter that got a lot of instant reaction was with like three minutes ago, I was like, there's no way Dame is going to be off the court against the Bucks," And he pulled them. And I'm like, that shows some growth because I know there's been games where Terry Stotts, the game's over. He doesn't pull Damian Lillard. So I, I was very happy to see him do that in that Bucks game. But is there anything else you want to talk about in these three games? Not necessarily at these three games. It, it encompasses these three games, but just the progression to where Robert Covington is shooting the best from his career from three-point range. And think about that, like where he was to start the season below 30%. Now I think he's north of 40% uh, in March. He was uh, 50 nearly 51% on six attempts per game. He's 50% in April and seven attempts per game. Uh, that knockdown shooter, the outlet that, that Damian Lillard has needed, you know you're getting great defense on a nightly basis. He's shown the ability to put the ball on the floor. I really do like the, this roster. And mm-hmm. honestly, aside from the, a healthy Lakers team, you could put this against any team in the Western Conference. And I'll say, I don't. they may be as good, but they are not better than this Blazer roster. When you factor in Dame as an MVP, CJ as a French all-star, you got Powell who has done it uh, with the Toronto Raptors and was averaging like almost 25 a night during a, during a 10 or 15 game stretch with, with Toronto. Uh, Covington playing peak Covington. You're slowly starting to integrate Nurkic. You've got the best backup center in the league in Ennis Cantor. Carbello, who, who's a bucket. DJ, who you're bringing in now off of the bench for you know defensive purposes, but... You know, I think you're Nasir starting Little. to see Nasir who can come in and get you 
you know, rebounds and can move without the ball and can hit an open three. But, but I think it's almost like you can see the transition of the roster and Covington kind of encompasses that. We were really shaky over the course of the first month of the season. Covington was shaky. Now you start to, okay, we're starting to get a rhythm. We're starting to get used to one another, know where each other likes the ball, where they're going to be on the floor. I think Covington is just kind of that, that calming presence. Um, um, you know, he's kind of been there. He, I mean, he maybe hasn't won a ring, but he's played a lot of high profile basketball games and he's done it all. He's guarded fives. He's guarded small forwards. He's played, you know, stretch four. Like he guarded Chris Paul. Like he can guard ones for, I, I think with this team, it's about matchups. Like sometimes, you know, matchups dictate fights they dictate basketball games sometimes when you go against a certain team that that has that big small forward that Giannis type player maybe we should try and play the nuggets <laughs> like I, I think that's I think matchups will dictate how far we go in the playoffs because we we can do any everything we can to adjust for a matchup but we can't make Norma Powell be six eight or we can't make you know, one of our players extra tall or extra short. So some, I think the matchups will dictate how well we do in the playoffs. And that is a, that's a great sign because we were just happy to be in there for a few years. Now we're like, okay, let's be focused up. Let's pick the right, let's try and make ourselves be in the right matchup to go against the team that we can take advantage of them. That is a different way of thinking that we haven't had the luxury of doing for a few years. So Uh, speaking of, of, of matchups Portland reportedly it hasn't been reported by the team which is strange because Shams reported I think before the Milwaukee game on Friday that the Blazers are using one of the two roster spots to bring in former 2015 first round draft pick Rondé Hollis Jefferson onto the roster Sage, what do you make of that signing? Uh, it appears they probably wanted just, you know, another wing defender to, to throw at, you know, a Kawhi, uh, a LeBron, a, a Devin Booker, um, someone of, of that nature, should you match up with them in, in the postseason. Uh, I know we both liked him pre-draft. He really hasn't had the career maybe we thought he had, but he he's definitely a long wing defender who can go out and he has six fouls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, w- I was chilling. Um, I was I was running errands with my mom uh, when the news broke. And so I was just chilling in the car and I looked at uh, Cleaning the Glass, a really uh, nice uh, website that shows like the four figures in the game, offense, defense, like how well they do. So I was looking and I was like, all right, this is the free version because I'm poor. So I was looking at it and I was like, all right, that's a lot of blue and that isn't good, but holy shit, his offensive rebounding is fantastic. He's like a 99 percentile offensive rebounder. So if he goes on the floor, I expect that he's going to be attacking the glass. They classify him as a big now. He's no longer a wing. He's a big man. So I, I think if, you know, things happen with our, like Rocco gets into foul trouble and we need a spark off the bench. RHJ can do some things on the court at the, at an amazing rate. He's might not be the best three point shooter, might not be the best dribbler, but he doesn't commit turnovers and he can get offensive boards. And those are two 
handy tools to have in the in the playoffs. So I don't expect think, him to play much, but he, yeah. he'll contribute when he's on the court in the the ass whooping lineups. Agree. I, I don't expect him to play a lot, and if he does, something's bad happens. I severely hope that he's not just a Nick Batum stand in the corner and shoot threes. That that's the last player you want to shoot a three. So I hope if he's playing that he's moving without the ball, we're finding him in dunking spot opportunities, anything at the rim going towards the rim, not further away from the rim. Because if he's in the game and he's just stationary, any defense is going to sag completely off of him. Cheat awful, man. Like the Warriors did against the Grizzlies. And they basically begged Tony Allen because that's a comparable. It's it's, it's Tony Allen-esque in terms of the shooting percentages and who you want to shoot if you're the opposition yeah. w- wide open. So as long as he is making moves, uh, offensive rebounding, putbacks, uh, cutting to the basket, moving without the ball, fantastic. I think it'll be good in stretches. Uh, we do play a lot of games in a little amount of time. So you're maybe on back-to-backs, you're going to want to have more bodies out there. So Give um, Mello a break. Give... Um, you know, if Nasir Nasir's, I love him, but he's been kind of delicate. He could, if, if he's, if, if something happened to Nasir, RHJ can play those minutes and, you know, it's, it would be different, but I, I think he could play that, that four that's closer to the basket, getting those rebounds and doing some hustle plays, you know, I, I wish we can bring in another guard, but Rondé Hollis Jefferson deserves to be on a roster. So at least we have another NBA caliber player. Dribble pass shoot. This is a question that I asked our Twitter followers a few days ago. And it was after, I think we might've beat the Pistons. Is this current roster at their peak, the best the Blazers have had since 2000? I can't answer that. I I'm not, you know, I've, I've, like I I would just look at numbers for the that 2000s roster. I would I, I think you can answer that because I I would say just in, in my time as a fan the four contenders for the best team since 2000, you've got the young but talented 2009 Blazers led by Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, a semi-healthy Greg Oden, just very deep, very young, won 54 games, lost in the first round to the Rockets. Then you've got the 2015 Blazers, pre-Wesley Matthews Achilles, that were very top-heavy but were cohesive. Wasn't Mo the sixth and then nothing else? No, we had no Mo Mo Williams that year. Uh, We had Steve Blake, Chris Kamen, Aaron Aflalo, and a second-year C.J. McCollum. But you had the starting five, which was very... uh, dynamic and they were very cohesive the third obviously the the western conference final team before nurk went went down uh and then this year um i sent that tweet out the poll lasted 24 hours over 200 fans voted 73 percent more than 73 percent said yes this is the best roster that we have had since that 2000 team and i tend to agree based upon right now with what we got from norman powell you're getting Pete Covington. You know Nurkic is only getting better. This is the best Damian Lillard has ever looked. And CJ. 
and CJ McCollum. So I, I think if you put this roster up against the 2019, so 2019 is probably also number number two in my mind. So if it's better than that. I think that we're then, more versatile than that. So, so to me, yeah, I, I think we are the best roster and is the roster perfect? No, does it need mm-hmm. to be improved? Absolutely. I think we could use a second star to go along Damian Lillard, but I think given the resources that, that we've done a pretty good job. So when we get blown out by the bucks and you know, when you're, you're either on Twitter or you're on the, the, the forums, it's, it's not a, a roster forums. Yeah. It's not a roster problem. Like this, this team is good. This team is talented. I think it's time that that rip city acknowledges and embraces how good this team is. I, I think we've been emotionally burned from the Blazers in the past. You know, you look to 2018 losing in the first round, uh, you know, running into the Warriors multiple times. That's in the past. Like this team is good. Like if you want to look at me straight in the face and tell me that the Utah Jazz are a better roster, I'm not hearing it. They have a better coach. Oh, they have, they're yeah. Playing, they're playing more cohesive. They've been more healthy. They actually have fans in the stands, but there is no way on God's green earth. I'm taking a team led by Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in the postseason over Damian fucking Willard. And he's but got those, the, the, the coaching is a legitimate factor, but if we're it just is, talking rosters, just roster. Yeah. I, I think that the Blazers this year are more versatile and have more scores and more creators and, in theory, better defenders. I think this te- this roster is good. It's just there's a lot of other factors come playoff time that we haven't really proven that we can handle. Yes, I think this roster is the best that it can't. That in my time of covering this team, this is the best roster that we've had. The most versatile roster. Can so I, I our, ask, our staff catch up to uh, all the other great coaches in the West is the, the major factor. So I led with that because we, we I want to answer some fan questions. And then the first one I want to answer Mr. Kind, professional. Of, kind of touched on that uh, came from a new follower. So, so shout out to you uh, to an awesome one wants to know. Is coaching truly a problem for the Blazers? It's possibly the best roster we've had in Dame's career, and we're dead last in defense. I know a lot of fans blame Stotts, but is that fair and or accurate? Thank you. So offense and defense, or because I, I think the offense. So he is, says, is coaching truly a problem? Yes. I think that. Because of the players being injured in CJ and Nurk, our, our offense looks worse than it actually will be in the playoffs when Norman and uh, Rob get more get used to CJ and Nurk. Defensively, I think it's an absolute problem because it's been the same thing that for the last few years where we don't adjust. So yes, I, I think coaching defensively would be it is a problem because we don't want to adjust to the changing circumstances. And it's been years of just the same thing. So if we, if we make a big change defensively with some of our concepts and I think showing more help initially 
then I, I would feel better. But since I know Terry Stotts is kind of stubborn with the schemes and not willing to adapt, yes, coaching is a problem defensively. I think our offense will will get more efficient and better, but I'm very nervous about our defense. And thank you for being a new fan. I would say I, I agree with, with that assessment. I think offensively we're fifth in the league, but like fifth all time, like the, the league is setting just all-time records year after year. The offense, I think, with Nurkic back has been pretty fantastic. I think pre-Nurkic, it was a lot of ISO, a lot of one dribble, quick pass. And, and yeah, Norm, of, Norman Nurk, change it. And CJ. Norman, Norman Powell coming back, being able to be another creator, gives you other sets that you can throw. You can run sets for him where he's coming to the ball, and now he's a decision maker with the ball in his hands. You have Yusuf Nurkic, who you can run an entire offense through, whether it's in the post with him looking to score or with him on the perimeter looking to distribute. Uh, you've got CJ McCollum back, who's having uh, the best season of his uh, career. Then you also have, you know, Ines Cantor, who, as we saw against the Thunder, we just dumped it into him routinely time after time again, because he's such an incredible finisher. Like there are so many weapons that this team has that we're starting to see them put together good offensive uh, performances. So I'm not too entirely worried about the offense. The, the part of the question that that sticks out and has stuck out this entire season has been defense. We are last in the league in defense mm-hmm. and we've, we've just praised the, this roster. It, it is a damn good roster. There, there is no way this roster should even be, I think in the bottom 10 defensively. I'm not saying it should be in the top 10, I think this is more of a middle five, middle 10 middle. Yeah. Middle 10. This is a middle 10 roster for defense. There should be no way in hell that this roster should be this poor on the defensive end of the floor. Is it entirely Terry's fault? No, no. it is not entirely his fault. Should he adjust more? Yes. I think a lot of it comes from communication. I, I don't know if you, can you teach communication? I, I don't know. Um, I think Norm's the only one who points and like tries to set shit up. Maybe Rob, Cub, yeah. Cub, Cub, and DJ tried their best as well, but um, you know Damian's not a good defender. CJ and Mello will once in a while get blocks, but they get beat off the dribble qu- quite a bit as well. The the defense is a- an issue, and I think the players need to take responsibility on that end of the floor as well because it's an effort, it's a communication, it's discipline. It's an urgency to to play with that. Um, you even take a look at a non-trailblazer, for example. I tuned in last Thursday and watched uh, the Denver Nuggets play the Los Angeles Clippers. I have never seen Aaron Gordon try that hard on the defensive end of the floor. Mm. He was in a stance. You know, if you've ever done a, a wall squat in PE class or basketball practice where the coach makes you, you know, sit on the wall squatting in a stance for, you know, five minutes, he was in a stance like that, sitting down in a chair every time Kawhi Leonard was even in the vicinity and he clamped him up. I've never seen Aaron Gordon play like that before. I don't know if a coach can get that out of you, but that has to be in you to want to do that. And clearly a change of scenery helped him. But some coaches clearly can tap into that because you look at Tom Thibodeau turning around the New York Knicks. So it's a very fine line between saying it's the player's fault, it's Terry's fault. It's a little bit of both. But in general, when you look at teams that play good defense, the coach knows which buttons to push to get the most out of his players. It is a marathon of a season. It, it's it's hard for them 
to want to get up and go balls to the wall 72, 82 times a a year. But the good coaches know how to get that out of them. I think Terry's a really good players coach. Whereas, you know, you look at a guy in maybe Portland's past, uh, Nate McMillan, a very good motivator. He 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 scrapped the mm, hell Monty out of some Williams of those, too. As an assistant coach, yes, he they scrapped the hell out of some injured Blazer rosters that got them to just fight like hell. I don't know if Terry has shown that ability. Um, we we scrapped in fifteen sixteen, but I think that was you know, and the Vegas said we were going to win twenty three or twenty six games, and and I think Dame kind of set that tone. Everyone followed, but. We've seen teams do that for a year. It's hard to scrap for an entire year, and I don't think we need to scrap for 72 games, but we definitely shouldn't be last defensively. And so, you know, a long answer short, the roster is there. Yes, we play three guards, but Norman is a plus defender, and he's got an insane wingspan. You got one of the best defenders in the game in Covington, and I think one of the better center defenders and Yusuf Nurkic. So your back line it is really should strong. erase a lot of it. Yeah, it it should. You shouldn't again. You shouldn't be top ten, but you shouldn't be dead last. So this is where it's going to come down to for Terry Stotts and keeping his job. It may not be entirely his fault, but the the results are going to be. He's going to sink or swim based upon these results. Can he get this team? to play some defense. Can inspired he some, defense. Inspired. Can he get this team to adjust, to adapt? Can he break out of his comfort zone and say, okay, I'm not feeling this. We need to switch things up because ultimately he's going to determine whether or not he is the coach of this team next year. And all we've, I know every Blazer fan is tired of talking about defense. I'm sure the players and coaching staff are as well, but that's what, is going to determine who's on the roster next year, who's coaching with roster next year. And if we're looking at this team and making decisions. Yeah. Next year, are we going to be happy with the results that we got this year? Because the roster is good. I'm not saying it's a championship caliber roster, but it's a roster that if they made the Western conference finals, people are going to be like, Oh yeah, totally. Like we can, we can, we can envision that mm-hmm. the blazers have to find a way to lock in. And Terry's got to find a way to unlock that inspiration. So it, it's a give and take, but Sage, you can't fire 14 players. You can fire one coach and he's been here nine years. And the defense lately has just, it's progressively gone worse as the modern game has progressed. So, I mean, there's a, we talked about this in the preseason. There is a lot riding on this year from a personnel and a coaching staff perspective. And Neil to his, credit has put together a pretty damn good roster has he made his mistakes yes but i think this year the roster is good enough sage we we shouldn't be losing to like the phoenix suns like that that shouldn't happen in the postseason we are better than the suns but time will tell and you know history could could be written in, in this postseason like i think this is a i think this is a bigger postseason than anyone really wants to admit oh yeah it's scary to think that this core, this team could be completely different next year. So if you, if you've like Dame, CJ, Norm, Coven, Nurkic, you really want them to succeed this year because it's a big decision with, do we bring back Norman? Do we in a year give Nurkic his money? Do we give Zach Collins money? If you like that current roster, you better hope for success or, you know, 
we're we've been we've been kind of stat we've been sticking with this core it might be time to pull off the band-aid and stop kicking the can down the road so uh that was a really good question thank you so much for it speaking of norman powell we have one more fan question it's from gn and excuse me if i mispronounce your last name it's gn stoymanov so if i mispronounce your last name i I'm, i'm so sorry but you had a great question so i wanted to get to it so speaking of norman powell Georgie wants to know, is Norm happy to be a part of the Blazers? It might be his personality. I must admit, I didn't follow Toronto closely, but he doesn't seem particularly excited by his new environment. What do you think, Sage? I mean, I can't. As somebody that doesn't show that much emotions, um, you know, I, I think that's just who he is as a person. He's not, he's not the uh he, I think he's extraordinarily passionate about the game and the team that he's representing. So I'm not worried about how he feels um, if he's if he's like happy. I think that he's ready and locked in and engaged. Like when he when he missed those two free throws and tore his jersey up because he was frustrated with himself. That shows me that he's down for the cause. And if he's down for the cause and on my team, I think he's pretty happy with his uh with his environment. Situation. Yeah, like he spent a good chunk of time in Toronto. He had the ultimate success in Toronto. Change is difficult, but I think that he's engaged in the team and wanting to win. So I think he's happy enough. I th- I I'm not worried about his uh happiness if if he starts not getting emotional at himself when he maxes up then that might be worrying but right now i think he's locked in and ready to go on a deep playoff run with the portland trailblazers yeah i think you made a great point there look at his effort on the court and how much he cares especially ripping the jersey but that shows you that he's he's locked in and he is you know giving his all to to this roster and I don't think you can give your all to anything in any aspect of life if you're not happy or or you don't care. Another thing I, I would two two other things I would factor in. One is personality. Uh, we've seen Blazers like Alfaru Camino. I mean, even other non-Blazers and Tim Duncan. Some people are just you know quiet and reserved, and, and they're they're stoic and you know they don't wear their emotions on their sleeve. So it's hard to get a read on. Not everyone is going to be an NS Cantor who is you know okay, a walking. Friend. Yeah, a walking quotable who is just so cheery and happy, you know, all of the time in such public uh, shows of emotion. Also, let's not forget that Norman Powell was drafted by the Raptors, spent his entire career there, as you mentioned, won uh, a championship, which is the ultimate team success. And leading up to the deadline, just 30 minutes before, his agent said, you're not getting traded. So imagine that you're one already playing in Florida for your entire season instead of your home base of Toronto. So you're already, you know, uprooted from your home. You find out you're not going to get traded. And then 30 minutes later, you are traded. That That is a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, he then has to continue to be on the road. Who knows where he is staying in Portland. There, there's not going to be, you know, that's not a true home environment. Maybe he's staying in a hotel or, or a rented house, but who knows if he's able to bring in his family or any friends with him? Like his doggies. Yeah, his complete his life was completely uprooted. And so 
and then you're thrust into a team that's trying to compete for a championship. So that's a lot of pressure, a lot of change and a lot of pressure. It's a lot of change. It's a lot of emotions. It's just a lot of shit to deal with. In a pandemic. Yeah, I I wouldn't read Norm's body language as a positive or a negative. I, I think. I think it's just his personality is kind of. I think he's just a quiet dude. Low key. Yeah, he's very low key. So I wouldn't be too worried about Norman Powell. If the Blazers offer him, it's going to come. If the Blazers offer him a starting role and the biggest money, he's coming back. Like, if we're competing, why would you leave? Yeah. If you can get the most money and compete, why would you leave? If you're getting 15 shots a night and teams aren't keying in on you as the first or second option, and you can get paid, and you can uh, start, and you're competing. There's not many players that walk away from that opportunity. So I, I wouldn't be, again, too concerned. Uh, watch his play on the court. That should dictate what his dedication and the the amount of uh, physical and emotional investment that he has with this team. Because from what I've seen, he, he's, he's giving him his all. I mean, he doesn't die on screens. He fights through those screens. If you like getting hit by Aaron Baines has to suck. It has to be really painful and sucks. The fact that he fights through it and goes and chases. I I think that he's as locked in as anybody can get with this team. So I'm personally not afraid of Norman Powell getting frustrated or, you know, wanting to leave after. He, we're competing. We're trying to win a chip. I, I think that is a noble cause. I, I think if he went from Toronto to Detroit or something, that then there might be. But it's a positive situation for him here. And we love him. We absolutely do. And looking ahead to the week that is, Sage, there's about six weeks left of basketball. 23 games left for our Trailblazers. It is a massive week in Rip City. We have two road games Tuesday night in Los Angeles against the Clippers, Thursday against the NBA leading Utah Jazz, who have a 21 home game winning streak. And then you come home for a three game homestand, which we will preview two of those games. We get another game against the Detroit Pistons uh, Saturday, April 10th, and is a back to back and another familiar foe the Miami Heat on Sunday, April 11th. So four games, all winnable. I would say three of them pretty damn difficult. Let's kick it off, Sage, with the Los Angeles Clippers, who the Blazers are within just shouting distance uh, of catching them for for that three seed out west. Yeah, and I remember when we were excited about – the COVID uh, vaccine, it, it, it would be two weeks to the day on that Clippers game. So I wonder what they're going to do with the vaccine for that game. And seeing how my mom and uh, other family members have reacted to that second dose makes me kind of nervous on how the Blazers will feel that game. So that that is another thing that's going to be hard to project is how they're feeling after that second dose of vaccine or when they get it. Um, Clippers are a a very weird team, very weird team in terms of injuries. They, 
don't follow the rules of NBA injury reporting because Paul George two times this year said he was going, they said he was fine, 100% healthy. Then he gets up from his, uh, the chair gets dizzy and is out for the game. And then there was a game where he was designated out. Then he, after the injury report was questionable and in. So this is a very weird team. Are they playing a game before or after us? No, they just played today against the so Lakers and beat them. They're yeah. on a home stance. So yeah, they will be fully healthy. Rested. Potentially. They they might pull some squirrely shit. Patrick Beverly is is out and, and so is is Serge Ibaka. Both could, could play, but neither has played for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. And and Rondo just made his debut. Yeah, I mean. I think that the Blazers win one of the two road games, the Clippers or the Jazz. So the Clippers did beat us 128 to 105 on December 30th. It was the fourth game of the season. If I remember that performance correctly, they just went crazy from the three-point line. Yes, 18 of 38 for damn near 48% uh, from downtown. The game was over really at halftime. They were up. 19 points at the half. So uh, the Blazers, if I remember that game correctly, we put DJ and Covington on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but they just ran really simple pick and rolls and got CJ and Dame uh, mm-hmm. switched onto them. So to me, the game's going to come down to role players who's because Nick Batum hit a lot of those threes as well. It's going to come down to who gets hot from the three point line, but can the Blazers actually fight over screens can they not just let the clippers dictate what they want to do on offense like we need to make the clippers pay for not having uh, a true point guard like rondo is the only point guard they have he's basically on a minutes restriction and then when he doesn't play they do not play with the point guard so we need to be able to to take advantage of that and kind of force them to i think up the tempo a bit and i think there's also a huge advantage just waiting for Portland to happen down low. Like this just feels like Nurk and or Cantor should be able to gobble up a lot of offensive rebounds, a lot of easy paint points. It's got to be how we defend the, those two uh, Los Angeles superstars is going to be a huge X factor because they don't have a legitimate point guard outside of Rondo, who's on that minutes restriction, like you've mentioned. I'm going to say that the Blazers get the dub against the Los Angeles Clippers. And what say you? Um, First of all, I I think my X factor will be Norman Powell on both ends of the floor. I think he's going to get the assignment against Kawhi Leonard. And uh, I think he's going to be a a much needed addition offensively. The Clippers are probably going to sell out to Hound, Dame, and CJ. Mm-hmm. I think Powell's going to have the ability to maybe go up against a, a Luke Kennard type of, of defender, maybe Nick Batum and get them into foul trouble, get, get to the bucket. Like the Clippers are a vulnerable team. I, I watched the Denver Nuggets without a massive, not even a good performance from Nicole Jokic. Just cut them apart. You can do that to this Clippers team. If you just take your time on, on offense and you move without the ball and you force them to play isolation basketball. Like, don't let the Clippers start swinging the ball around the perimeter and feeling good about themselves. I do think they lost a bit of their soul in trading Lou Williams. They, they've lost a bit of it last year when they got rid of Montrezl Harrell. Mm-hmm. 
Patrick Beverly is also an emotional leader and he probably will not be playing. And, you know, he's had a role in kind of the Dame uh, Clippers beef. Uh, Beverly and George have kind of, you know, beat that drum. I think the Blazers, they have to treat this like almost an elimination game because if you lose to the Clippers, one, you fall two games in the loss column back from Los Angeles, but also there's no chance at getting the tiebreaker. Um, I'm kind of in a, I'll believe it when I see it mode for the Blazers when it comes to playing top tier teams. Uh, I think they, I really do. I think the Blazers are a better team than, than the Clippers, but can they show it? Um, I think the Clippers are going to beat us. Um, There are ways to beat the Clippers, but I I just, I envision that we're going to let, Kawhi get matched up on Dame and he's going to basically do what Giannis did, did to Robert one-on-one. We're going to be so afraid to, to double or to do anything different. And um, I hope I'm wrong. I, I would love to be wrong, but um, I, remember, I think the Clippers are going to get this one. I remember that, that uh, Nuggets Clippers game. And I think that Jokic had a huge game, not stout wise, but the Clippers did everything they could to shut him down by sending double and triple teams at him. Michael Porter Jr. just happened to be, and uh, Jamal Murray just happened to hit everything on that uh, that that game. So I think that they're going to try and shut down Damian Lillard with all of the pressure that they put on Jokic. So including Norman Powell in that X factor, I'm going to put Robert Covington in it as well because I think those two are going to be the beneficiaries of some easy shots because they're going to throw everything at Damon CJ, but I think we're going to win. The next game comes against the Utah jazz, a team that is a league leading 38 and 11 uh, on the season. They're 22 and two at home. Uh, Like I mentioned, they've won 21 consecutive home games. They do allow some fans. So there is a distinct advantage there. They've won nine in a row. They also defeated the blazers 120 to 100 on opening night in Portland. Uh, the Jazz play at Dallas on Monday, and then they play at Phoenix Wednesday on a nationally televised game on ESPN. So it'll be a second night of a back-to-back against the Portland Trailblazers, the first game back home. So if there ever was time to beat the Jazz, this would be it. Getting them, you know, they're going to be up to play the Suns. That's a one versus two matchup out West. Uh, Portland in the Damian Lillard era tends to play really well in Utah. Uh, of course, we remember last year getting absolutely hosed by that missed goaltending call, which would have sent the game into overtime. Uh, we beat them before in the, in the past. I think this is going to be a game where I'm really going to, to look at and say, win or lose, how do we match up against this team? You know, clearly I think they're going to end up as the one seed. So if Portland were to end in the four or five matchup and both teams advanced, mm. this is a, a legitimate playoff matchup. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I would relish a, a, a chance to play against the Jazz. I, I just I don't believe in that roster. I think they're more like the 60-win Atlanta Hawk teams with Millsap and, and Joe Johnson and Kyle Korver and Jeff Teague and, and, and that crew. I don't know if they're built to actually win in the postseason because you got to get some offense somewhere. And Gobert's been exposed before in, in the past, but, but regular season is – kind of a different beast and the jazz are kind of showing that they're they're they are a mm. fine-tuned machine they will not beat themselves so this will be a game where 
I mean, we, we've been talking about it, and we got we we got it a few weeks ago against the Pelicans, where Dame went for fifty. This is a team that doesn't really have any perimeter defenders that can really stop Dame or CJ. Like th- this is the team where a couple years ago Dame or CJ combined for sixty uh, against them and won in Utah. So I think it was when we were discussing. You know, it's difficult to see both Dame and CJ click at the same time. This is a team that it's happened against before, same similar personnel. I think that's what it's going to take to, to beat the Jazz again. We have better guards. Lillard and McCollum are, are better than Conley and, and, and Mitchell. There's no debate in my mind. So it's going to come down to, can we make our shots? Can we actually pass the ball around the perimeter and not settle? I think if we play our game, and be patient. Patience is going to be key. You don't want to get, I think, into uh, a lot of sloppy passes. You don't want to really give the Jazz a lot of opportunities in transition. We've discussed how poorly this team is in transition. And I think a bench, like Jordan Clarkson's easily the sixth man of the year. Can we get some similar production from, you know, a guy like Carmelo Anthony? So um, of the two, Los Angeles and Utah, I actually think Utah is the the more vulnerable opponent for, for Portland. Um, hmm. what, do, what do you think, Sage? Who's your X factor? What are you predicting here? Well, I remember last year when we were talking about it, Mike Conley was god-awful. This year he's playing a lot better ball. I didn't think – I thought he was kind of washed last year, but he's shown that he's still a very good player and got his first all-star bid. So I, I think that – because Utah is able to have fans, there's a distinct advantage in that. I kind of feel like, well, first, Utah is really fantastic at home. Um, I, I think that we lose this game. And, you know, if we do win, it's because our three guards are elite and cause problems. Because Norman Powell is a, has, has a nice set of moves and can get get busy so i think norman powell would be the x factor in the game because they 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 can throw mitchell and and conley at damon cj but who are they throwing joe ingles or are they throwing bogdanovich or are they throwing royce o'neill at, at at norman i think norman's going to be the x factor but i unfortunately think that we are going to take the l against the utah jazz i know i just said I'll believe it when I see it, but I think I talked myself in to the Blazers getting a victory here. It just feels like Utah's ripe to lose at home. They are coming off of a back-to-back. You're also beating me in this prediction game, so I got to take a little bit How of a How much am I beating here. you by? Are we, are we counting the last week that there was uh, uh, audio issues, so we, we didn't show the uh, predictions? Yes. Or, oh, okay. you, you were up six games on me, so I need to take a little bit of a risk here, and you can't you you can't pick the same games I do, so got to make your run somehow. I legitimately think we may win this game. Um, I'm not going to pick Dame as my X factor because that's that's like, every night. That's like saying pizza is my favorite food. I mean, Jesus Christ, is it? I think everyone loves pizza. Like everyone loves Dame. Everyone loves pizza. Like Dame. But your favorite food? Sorry, I think a lot of people love love. Okay, let's let's get back on track. Dame is going to go nuts. But I think that the X factor will be the forwards. If Covington and Powell outperform Ingles and Bogdanovich, I think both 
sets of forwards are going to get open looks from three, Mm -hmm. whichever group of forwards hits the threes and whichever group of forwards is able to play the best help defense, because they're going to need to help off of those other, you know, their counterparts, you know, Mitchell for Utah, Lillard and McCollum for, for Portland. Uh, I think the Blazers get it done. I think another key is Nurkic dominating the glass against Gobert. Ennis Cantor as well, because Nurkic will be on a limits uh, minutes restriction. Uh, Gobert has the ability to change the game offensively as well as defensively just by, by rebounding the basketball. So, you know, can we box them out, keep them off the glass and, you know, either hold them to one possession or allow us to get multiple possessions. So uh, I'm going to go with the Blazers in, in this one. And then Portland comes home and we play uh, the Detroit Pistons, a team that we just beat by 23 uh, we we broke down that game a little bit, Sage. So I think let, let's quickly just kind of get into what we think will happen in this one. Um, making sure those rookies don't get uh, those extra points. Sadiq Bey is showing a ceiling. Saban Lee is showing a ceiling. Those players can score. And we might be able to see Killian Hayes as well. I think you stop the rookies and that team... They don't want to play Jeremy Grant big minutes in a game where it's it's obvious they're going to lose. So quick start defending those rookies. Those are my keys to the game for a Blazers victory. So this team is not only the worst in the entire Eastern Conference, they have the second worst road record in the league. They're 5-20 and 20 away from the Motor City. This is, the X factor is the entire team and their approach. If they approach it like they did the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's going to be another blowout. Hands down, there's no one player that that I think could could flip the script. I think it's a mindset. If the Blazers come out and say, okay, this is one of 23 games left. We need it for the standings. Let's go and get it. They're going to win. I think that happens. I think we get another good double-digit victory, and we get to see the young guys, guys do some work. So I've got the Blazers winning as well. And then I think maybe the most interesting game of the Mm. the slate is the Miami Heat. Uh, They made big splashes at the deadline, adding uh, Victor Oladipo. They've added Trevor Ariza prior, which which we've seen. I believe uh, Goran Dragic is still out, Sage, but isn't Jimmy Butler back? Jimmy Butler's been playing amazing basketball. And the Heat have won four straight. So they went on it. They've kind of had a roller coaster season as well mm-hmm. um they had a stretch where they won five straight and then right after that they lost six in a row one of those was the loss in miami to our trailblazers and then their last four games uh 10 point win over the knicks five point win in indiana uh seven point win against the warriors and a 14 point win against the cleveland cavaliers they have two more games on this homestand the memphis grizzlies on tuesday and the Los Angeles Lakers on Thursday before going out West for a four game road trip. The Blazers are their first game on that road trip. This is also the second night of the back-to-back for the Blazers, which is even more crucial for them to handle business the previous night against the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. I think beating the Pistons and hopefully by a big margin and resting Dame and CJ in that third and fourth quarter would be huge. I think that we, we talked about it uh, earlier in this podcast about the perfect recipe to stop the Damian Lillard is an elite on-ball defender and then a guy that's uh, can hedge off the pick and roll and then bam out of bio. So if those two play, I th- I think that 
um, which is a huge if because the Heat have dealt with so many injuries this year. But I, I think it's all on Jimmy Butler and Bam's health. If those two are playing, I think their pick and roll uh, efficiency is going to be a huge issue for us. And then defensively, they can stop Dame. So it's going to be huge with the 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 wings in Robert Covington and uh, Norman Powell and CJ McCollum to have big games against the Heat for us to win. But I'm going to project that the Heat can get the victory against us. I think the Blazers win. And I think they do because we have our, our bigs are able. So Bam Adebayo is arguably Miami's best player. He he showed that when, when we played them uh, a few games ago. He, he had an absolute monster performance, and he was clutched on three to four consecutive possessions to close out the game. 29-9 and nine, along with, with seven assists. Played fantastic defense. However, Ennis Cantor kind of matched him, 18-16, and 16, and he kept us in the game with consecutive offensive rebounds and putbacks. So you wouldn't expect Ennis Cantor to kind of cancel out their best player. We also played without Norman Powell and Yusuf Nurkic. So yes, they didn't have Dragic and Butler, but we didn't have two key components of our roster as well. I would argue that Jimmy Butler in the month of March and April, much better than Bam right now. He's been he's been absolutely a monster. And I, I like our chances with Norman Powell defending him. I, I don't think to me Butler is not who I'm concerned with. I think it is the shooters of Miami that are going to dictate this performance. Uh, Duncan Robinson's been on an absolute tear uh, against the Blazers in Miami. They shot 16 of 34, 47%. Uh, we basically had to win um, in a shootout. I mean, Tyler Hero had almost, he had 29 points. Uh, Duncan Robinson in that, get, that game was four of six from downtown. Uh, we have to continue to defend that, that three-point arc if we come out with a defensive mindset, and I think this is where Nurkic helps us because Cantor had a really difficult time defending a player of Adebayo's skill and athleticism, especially on that pick and roll. I think Nurkic gives us an added dimension. Uh, the Heat could not stop CJ McCollum early, and they couldn't stop Damian Lillard late. Uh, I think this is a game that if we are locked in, that, that we, will, we will take home. And if I'm looking for for an X factor, it's going to be CJ McCollum. He put mm. up 29 on them in the first half. And I think if we are to make a push, we need him to get back to his pre-injury numbers and, and output. And he's just so shifty. And if he can get going, that just opens up the floor for the rest of us. They won't have the ability to really double because who are you going to double off? Are you going to double off of Covington, who's shooting 50% from three over the past six weeks? Damian Lillard, who's maybe the best shooter in the game. Uh, Norman Powell, who was, again, probably, I think, top three or top four in percentage. So it's a pick your poison. And mm. I think the team that plays defense is the team, the team that plays defense late is the team that is going to to win. I think Portland's going to get the stops down the stretch. Uh, I think they have to have this. I think if you're playing a team in the Eastern Conference at home, we cannot let another Milwaukee Buck performance happen. Uh, this, could, this, this, this game ha- is probably the most high variance I could see a blowout on either perspective. I could see another nail biter on either perspective, but uh, I'm going to trust that the Blazers uh, continue to hold, hold serve on the home home floor and, you know, get, get a dub. It'd be a big three, three and one week on, on my end, two and two for you. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast, dash radio, nothing but net radio Tuesdays, two to three, four to five Eastern. 
and uh tell a friend to tell a friend uh to like and subscribe the holy on the holy backboard podcast on itunes thank you so much for listening and we will be back next week wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night everybody let's go, let's go.